With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey! It's yeah. actually working! I'll be damned! Wow, well, I mean, we are living in idiocracy on all levels. Oh, God. I mean, it's one thing to be living in which the stupidest rule everything, but now shit doesn't work. No, no, it doesn't. I just did the troubleshooting thing, something called Cortana. I've never heard of that program, but it did a... Res- a re- whatever, we're here, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we live in a time where the post office can last for 245 fucking years, and we can't... And now we have to kill it, too, because Skype and all this other shit is working so much better. Well, I was going to go get uh, the Mac. So you were saying it was almost time for the return of the Mac? Oh, boom! Ayo! We actually have sports this time. Yes, we have the NHL in a bubble. We have the NBA in a bubble. We have Major League Baseball sort of back, except well, depends on your team there. Your mileage may vary if you're a St. Louis Cardinals fan, as they have not played in approaching two weeks or so. And there is somewhat normalcy, but obviously as of right now, college football is sort of dead with the SEC, ACC, and Big 12, as of this recording, looks like they're still going to try and film a rollerball movie, rollerball-esque movie, (laughs) (laughs) and Big 10 and Big 12 down, Uh, so yeah, it's, wow. (laughs) I thought the film Idiocracy by Mike Judge was supposed to happen at 25.05, but here we are in 2020 and we're living it because if you've seen the takes about college football cancellation, oh my God. Wow. I, I just, I can't even, I can't even begin to understand it. And I just, it, it's the willful ignorance and the stupidity that get me the most. I saw one and I, you know, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to name drop, but it was somebody who writes for an Ohio state site, probably, Probably someone who's credentialed for games, maybe, I don't know, but certainly a well-known outlet. And he tweeted, playing Big Ted football is safer than going to the grocery store. Oh, good God. We live in the stupidest bloody country. (laughs) (laughs) No, please get me off this timeline. Oh, my God, we are so dumb, it hurts. Yes, Anyway, we're we're gonna try and step away. We're gonna try and step away from uh, ranting about college football. I imagine we'll touch on it here at the little a little bit at the end of this podcast. But sure. we actually have our next let's get weird sports topic and les expos and le stade olympique. So expect a lot of French Canadian accents, which is bad. Yes, a place where they serve poutine at the concession stand. <laughs> a place that has had no tenant, no major tenant since 2004. So you are right on its face value. You could have had the Blue Jays could have played there, but due to Canadian law, it would not have worked. We are going to talk about the weirdest franchise in baseball history. Yes. Some may think that's the Seattle Mariners, but I don't think so. I think it's Les Expos. Uh, Expos, the franchise named after a World's Fair of 1967. 
you can't talk about Les Expos without talking about Le Stade Olympique, which in and of its own self is one of the weirdest ballparks, and it is still an enduring ballpark, even though, as you said, it has not had a tenant in it for almost two decades now. The Expos themselves were started as the first Canadian team in 1969. Nice. And... Nice. <laughs> they didn't always play in Le Stade Olympique. They used to play in Jari Park Stadium, which has now been restructured into a tennis stadium in Montreal, if you would believe it. Yes, they moved into Le Stade Olympique six years behind schedule. <laughs> Um, like all great um, construction projects, the stadium itself what came in way over budget and way delayed, and it is known as the Big O, and as this is a family show, um, we'll stay away from the jokes about the Big O. Um, it, Big O, O-W-E, a $770 million facility that, through all its weather... Uh, wear and tear and other issues and maintenance has been ballooned to a cost of $1.47 billion, and it took 30 years to pay off. So it, it even has it has its own entry on UrbanDictionary.com, oh, and it was built for the 1976 Summer Olympics, and it was finally paid off in 2017. <laughs> it does have a swimming pool, though. Yes, it has a beautiful Olympic swimming pool. Um, it has an adjacent Olympic velodrome, which has been since been converted to the Montreal Biodome. Ooh. And I, I don't do Polly Shore accents. So. I was going to say, any time that we can reference Polly Shore in this podcast. Uh, who is the guy? I know Kylie Minogue. Um, just I, I actually do like Kylie Minogue's music, which... I know it puts me in a rarity among heterosexual men to like her music, but she was in Biodome with him and Stephen Baldwin. Was he the male lead? Oh, I have no idea. I have not given much thought about the Biodome movie since I was <laughs> in high school. I think right now this is the most publicity the Biodome movie has had in quite some time. <laughs> So some other fun facts here about Olympic Stadium. It has the world's tallest inclined tower at 574 feet. Yes. Um, the Montreal Tower built for the retractable roof. That doesn't um, work. <laughs> that doesn't work. Yeah, what else we know it doesn't work. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it was supposed to work off these cables that it would lift the stadium up in town and um there is a nice little observatory i i have actually been to olympic stadium oh my goodness well they, yeah. oh, they're still going to build another roof that is news to me i went in 2011 and um it's actually a beautiful setting it's in the middle of this park and there's a lot there's uh there's an insectarium Nearby, there's the Biodome, which we already covered. There is uh, Maurice Richard Arena, uh, the Rockets. So you've got, like, the hockey arena. You've got uh, the stadium where the Montreal Impact play. You have a skate park. And you also have this little strip mall of – there was a chiropractor, chiropractor, a sports medicine. It There's all these shops connected to it that look like – Wherever Larry David goes on a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode, just very boring, mundane stuff. Well, you, you talk about the atmosphere around it. There was an art, There was a writer for ESPN's Old Page 2 that in the early 2000s, he did a ballpark tour where he went to all 30 Major League ballparks. And one of the first ones that he went to was L'Estade Olympique. And he said, uh, his name's Jeff Capel, and he said, and I quote, This is a truly miserable stadium. It's an ugly, depressing dome with a retractable roof that won't open, artificial turf, and thousands upon thousands of empty seats. And to think that it once was 
the proud site of an Olympics and regularly welcomed huge crowds for one of the best teams in baseball. And then he spoke of the pre- and post-game bar scene, which is something that we're used to with Major League Parks, especially Wrigley. You know, we're very familiar, familiar with Wrigley. Oh, absolutely. In fact, that's what helped kind of made Wrigley and made the Cubs what they are. Well, here, here's what he had to say about this. Uranium City is a virtual ghost town on the north shore of Canada's Lake Athabasca near the 60th parallel on the Northern Territory's border. It once housed a thriving uranium center, but the mines closed in 1982, and now there are only about 200 people there. It can only be reached by plane. And I suspect that even it has a more vibrant bar scene than exists outside of Olympic Stadium. (laughs) That is scathing. I, I wish I had written something like that, so... Uranium Town, I that sounds like something in Total Recall, or it's okay. <laughs> there's a lot to unpack with that. He does he does have some good things though. He said that he does point out that it was extremely cheap to attend a game there. You could get a ticket for about five dollars, which excuse me, the last time that I got a ticket to a major league game for under five dollars was when. My wife and I, right after we got married, we started doing our tour of the Big Ten stadiums. We went to a Purdue-Minnesota game up at the Metrodome, and the way it worked out, we got all three of the Metrodome's tenants in three days because we got Purdue-Minnesota on the Saturday, we got Saints-Vikings on the Sunday, and then on the Monday, we got a dollar ticket for Twins-Royals the last week of the Major League season because the Twins and Royals were well out of the race. That's really impressive. I mean, even if you inflation adjust that to today's dollars, but that's astonishing. That's that's wonderful. He he does say here that it cost him five dollars for a ticket, six dollars for a hot dog and beer, eight dollars for a smoked meat sandwich and a soda, which he raved about the smoked meat sandwich, and three dollars for a cinnamon dough dessert. Smoked meat? Do we know what kind of meat it was? Um. Apparently, it was just like, I I don't know. <laughs> well, it's funny you brought up the Twins because that's like a very interesting part about the Expos is that those were the two teams that were voted to get contracted in 2001 were the Expos and the Twins. Oh, yes, because it, let's not forget at one time they wanted to kick the Expos out of the league. And at one time they were playing a third of their games in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Everybody who went to Montreal, who was good, wanted to leave. They didn't care for um, the exchange rate with the Canadian dollar. They didn't like the taxes. Um, As you said, it was this ugly, ugly stadium. The AstroTurf was really hard. Um, When the roof was closed, it was only 174 feet high, so uh, balls that would hit it would, I mean, just chaos would ensue. It was... It was just not a fun place to be, and that was why they spent ten seasons, their first ten seasons. They did not have a winning record because they got great. They would develop great players, but they would quickly move on. Right, and, and you have okay. it. Seems to be something about Canadian baseball teams that can't figure out how to get their stadiums together because. You have Toronto had their own problems with Exhibition Stadium, and that was one of the first ever – that might be the only snowout game in Major League Baseball history. Oh, no, no. We get snowouts here in Chicago, especially in April. Oh, and you – oh, here you go. So another one with Exhibition Stadium. An April 30th, 1984 game against the Rangers was postponed due to 60-mile-an-hour winds. Before the game, Rangers manager Doug Rader named Jim Bibby as his starting pitcher, stating, quote, he's the heaviest man in the world and thus will be unaffected by the wind. Wow, what a nice thing for a manager to say about his own player. (laughs) Oh, my. So, oh, and two more things here about the stadium itself, also from Jeff Capel's article here on it. I found him out about the smoked meat sandwiches. He says, if the Expos move, the saddest thing won't be the relocation of Canada's first team. No, it will be the demise of Mansoor's smoked meat sandwiches from the Major League scene. I could go all food channel on you for describing their taste, but instead I'll just say that they're so good, they almost make up for the Expos losing Larry Walker. (laughs) And of the beer, 
three bucks there isn't much variety you better like molson's eh but the prices aren't bad at about three bucks for that price you can drink enough to forget the randy johnson trade yeah i mean again that goes back to the theme of the team they had an outfield with marquise grissom larry walker and i i believe it was vlad guerrero um maybe i'm missing someone Oh, Vlad Guerrero was there for years, too. But they have had so many excellent players over the years that came through. Pedro Martinez, Dennis Martinez, who threw one of the only perfect games in Thir- The history. 13th perfect game in Major League history. Gary Carter, Andre Dawson, who won an NL MVP in Chicago before, but probably had like five years taken off of his career because the turf in Montreal shattered his knees. Yeah, and of course, Delano DeShields, Tim Wallach, Terry Francona. Um, and then the guy we want to talk about next is Tim Rock Reigns. Oh, yes. And I have not um, found out why he's nicknamed Rock, but when right. you're uh, inextricably linked to cocaine, I guess you could. Um, <laughs> yes, uh, Tim Reigns. And it should be noted, he is a Hall of Famer. Yes. He is an expert Hall of Famer. Uh, the Florida high school that he attended has named the baseball complex after him. He always wanted to slide headfirst, not on his back, because he would keep um, some cocaine in his back pocket during games. And he opened up to uh, the Chicago sports TV station. He had to sit down in which he said that he would play Major League Baseball games having not slept for two or three days and he would just, like, pass out and fall asleep in the dugout. So that's why the cocaine was with him. He needed the coke to wake him up. And it was a really interesting interview. He said that he once went to bat, and he saw a pitch that went right down the pipe, right down Main Street, and he thought it was a ball. And he was arguing with the ump, and then later he went back, and then he would watch the footage, he'd watch the game films, and he would see that, yeah, he was as high as a kite. <laughs> <laughs> well that's that's wonderful it, it sounds like he would get along with our guy doc ellis you know that's the great thing about this podcast tonight is i feel like we're bringing in all the different elements of let's get weird we've got doc ellis with the baseball players being on drugs We've got uh, the white elephants and, like, the Olympic graph from the Atlanta one. We've got just the history of a weird uh, baseball franchise that never really fit like we had the last time out with the Soviets. I mean, we're, we're bringing it all together tonight. So it's come to this, and let's get Weird Sparks podcast clip show. Well, I mean, um, and here, just just to let you know, well, not to let you know, because you obviously already know this because you know me, but to let our listeners know that I'm a weirdo who has problems, too, because um, one of the days early into the quarantine, I decided, let's what would what would happen if I watched nothing but marquee network all day and I recorded it and wrote about it? <laughs> Is this like when Big Ten Network went on the air and you had the nonstop Rotel and Queso ads? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you you do have like you have the same programs that run nonstop, and the one takeaway, like the one thing I genuinely enjoyed, because there were about like seven or eight programs that went in a loop that day, was Bill Murray in his prime from all the times that he was in the Cubs booth. There was this clip of him ahead of a Cubs Expos game. And he's just kind of like, oh, Hubie Brooks, that guy's garbage. Uh, Claudel Washington, yeah, whatever, we got him. Uh, Tim Wallach, that's nothing. Like, that was probably the funniest part of it. And then I also remember Harry Carey. I remember this as a kid. He used to love to say Andres Galarraga. (laughs) And the more innings and the more Budweiser's he was in, the more he would just be like, ah, Galarraga. Let's also remember that Bill Murray once called umpire Eric Gregg. He said he looked like the Michelin man, and if he had to haul ass right now, he'd have to make about six trips. (laughs) 
Ah, Bill Murray is an American treasure. But you're right in that there's just so much weirdness involving the Expos. You you even have on-field tragedy, speaking of umpires, because they were playing the Cincinnati Reds the day that uh, John McSherry dropped dead behind home plate, essentially. Yeah, it, it's really it's really sad when you think about it that all some of the darkest moments in baseball have Expos connections, and that is definitely one. Yeah, and that uh, that also led to Marge Shot, uh, who just was really a five tool five tool player when it comes to bigotry and hatred, and she had her own issue yeah. with that that day too. So, um, and then you've got the only time the World Series has been stopped. And the modern era, 1994, due to a work stoppage. And who had the best record in baseball that day? The Expos. And then you had another major work stoppage, another labor crisis, leading to a strike-shortened season in 1981. Which was the only time that they made the playoffs, I believe, too. That is correct, yes. Man, that that was a strange playoff format, a lot like this year's strange playoff format, in that they doubled the amount of teams that would be there. So you had the eight-team playoffs as opposed to the four-team playoffs that they would have at the time. Right, and you have to wonder what that Expos team would have done, because there is an entry on their Wikipedia page that says Team of the 80s, and that's not a stretch because of all the different talents they had, and... Had you not had the strike-shortened season, had you had a legit playoff, I don't know. Interestingly enough, the team they lost to, the Dodgers, um, went on to the World Series. And other than 88, the Dodgers have had their own issues in the postseason. You've got the story ends last October with the Nationals, but that's not what this podcast is about. This podcast is about the Spos and... And you be their mascot and all the goofy. I mean, there's a lot to be said where you can compare them to the Seattle Mariners. And I I do love the uh, SB Nation dork town that is on the Mariners and all the weirdness with them. But, I mean, to be almost contracted. Well, and you you have so much weirdness even with the front office because let's not forget Jeffrey Loria – was their owner who basically drove them into the ground and then he goes and he buys the Marlins and wins a World Series with the Marlins. Which just adds to the strangeness because they really kind of the work stoppage in 94 hit them really hard and they started the Mm sell-off. And all these great players, I mean, there was a time in the early to mid-90s when you can say they had the best young outfield in baseball and they could have done so much with it and by 95, from then out, like you said, uh, everybody else went elsewhere and found success in different destinations. And they very nearly did get a new stadium to replace Olympic Stadium. There was talk of building what was called Labatt Park. And it was going to be one of the retro baseball stadiums. There's actually a pretty cool graphic that I'll try to put up as the graphic for this podcast. But... There's a good artist's rendering, and they believe they even had, like, a model of it made up. It looks like it would be a gorgeous ballpark, but then they ran out of money and ended up moving to D.C. Right, and there's a great piece um, on the city and the graft and the corruption from the 76 Olympics, and you wonder if that had a lot to do with it with – it's on the Guardian. If you Google Olympic Stadium, it'll come up. And you can see how much that affected them adversely forever because a park like that, Montreal is a beautiful city. And the one time I was there was during Jazz Fest. And, you know, I'm I'm not Louis Armstrong or anything, but I do like jazz music somewhat. And it's a great place to go for that. You've got the wonderful hill that's i guess it's a mountain whatever i mean that's where the the city's name comes from mount royal that overlooks it and a beautiful ballpark in montreal would have been a wonderful just amazing place to be no doubt about it and then you also have the fact that Loria sold the team and major league baseball owned them for several years 
and during that ownership, they actually had a competitive team where there was, I want to say that there was talk about how Major League, it was hard for them to compete because all other all the other 29 teams could be active at the trade deadline and trade for players and everything else, but because they had no owner, they were basically limited to the players that they had. They couldn't go out and get that one guy that they needed, even though they were very much in the pennant race, despite everything going on. Right. And you look at if that could have made the difference. And at the same time, attendance got to be so bad where you get 12,000 people for a game, all these seasons below 1 million had there been that financial support, then they would have had an owner and then they would have had the investment to finally make the, I mean, some people like to pin it on the Blue Jays and their success that Canada wasn't big enough to have two teams, but I'm not sure I totally buy that narrative. It's the second largest country in the world. Of course it's big enough to have two teams. The world wasn't wide enough for Hamilton and Burr. Oh, God. (laughs) But as you said, it did give us Rock Reigns, who is one of the few baseball players that has played in four different decades. One of the greatest leadoff hitters of all time. Seven-time All-Star, one of uh, the greatest stolen base artists of all time. Uh, Gary Carter, perhaps one of the greatest hitting catchers outside of Johnny Bench and Carlton Fisk. Andre Dawson, who won an MVP the very first season he left Montreal with a last-place team, no doubt. Wow. I mean, you have... You have so many, Vlad Guerrero, as we already covered, Randy Johnson, um, El Perfecto with El Presidente, Dennis Martinez. Um, Oh, and and you also have uh, Reigns, one of only 29 players to play in in Major League Baseball games in four decades, was the last active player involved with the Pittsburgh drug trials and the last MLB player to wear a batting helmet with no ear flap. <laughs> you know, I think the Pittsburgh drug trials could be our whole next podcast. <laughs> we could probably do a lot about that because baseball is definitely about the sport that is kept giving to us when it comes to this. Uh, yeah, Tony Perez, part of the Big Red Machine Hall of Famer, he suited up. Uh, and you know, if I I do remember when I was in grad school in the early two thousands having a whole kind of phase of late 80s baseball jerseys. And I loved my Expos jersey that I found on eBay for like 15 bucks. But now you can't do that because the same thing is like $300. Uh, apparently, they the Nationals wore some Expos throwback unis the other day. And we we can't mention the Expos without mentioning one of the greatest mascots of all time, one of the only mascots to be traded across sports. I'm, of course, talking about Yuppie, the now mascot of Les Habitants. (laughs) Made his debut at the Canadians on October 18th, 2005. But yes, that is wonderful, and... I love how the Canadians actually honor the history of the Expos by they have the four retired numbers hanging from the rafters of their hockey arena. I mean, that's the greatest part is that they do live on and that they do for the constant theme of nobody came out to support them. They couldn't draw. The people who love the team still love them to this day. Like, that has not gone away. And UP, who has the kind of Muppet-like Miss Piggy, you know, mating with the Philly fanatic, if that's what the offspring would look like. Like, they love Yuppie, and they love all the different players. That I mean, we've already mentioned the Hall of Famers and, and you know, some of the All-Stars, but the different players that aren't as well-known still live in the hearts of the people who came out to support this team. Like, you really kind of wonder why they had to play in San Juan for a third of their season in 04, why they had to be owned by Major League Baseball. Like, what went wrong? Because they did have a legit cult following. Uh, it, it was all, it was the poor ownership, really. I mean, that's what ended it for them. It was just the, like anywhere else, if ownership is going to dump on the team forever, 
you're going to see them lose fans. I mean, we're seeing it right now with Daniel Snyder and the Washington Foreskins. You're seeing it with... Uh, <laughs> the Washington Pigskins on the way out. Uh, right. You're seeing it with Dolan and the Knicks. You're seeing it... You've seen it in Miami with the Marlins, and they're just crappy ownership groups. And it's... If the ownership isn't there and they don't care about the fans, the fans aren't going to show up. Right, and it, it really is a shame because there was so much potential. And I, I know we made fun of the stadium and everything, but a stadium can get character if the team's good and people want to be there. And then I, I'm interested to see the graphics of Labatt Stadium. That is, I have never really seen that. That'd be kind of interesting, but. Well, they should have had a that, they should have had a poutine fountain, kind of like how Kansas City has the waterfalls. Yeah, poutine is wonderful. Poutine is great. But when I was there, I felt a very it just seemed very just desolate and blah. And there's a skate park nearby, and there are these kids skating, and they seemed to have a lot more life than all the cracked sidewalks and. Just kind of just looking at that goofy tower, which I I do believe has an observatory. But what are you really going to see? I mean, it's well, you still do the Montreal Impact still occasionally play there, as if they need a large if they have a larger attendance game or if weather restricts outdoor play, they go inside and they play inside Olympic Stadium. And I believe Les Alouettes. Yeah, we're getting some real good French here. Mm-hmm. I think the Alouettes still play there on occasion as well. Yes, as do the um, the Paris Charles de Gaulle's play. <laughs> no, the the Alouettes when when they play have a playoff game and draw a lot, they do. Um, it's still in use. Um, there are monster truck shows all the time. Um, there's craft shows. There's, there's, um, the from what I read, it, the, the main room is, it's, it's the biggest, it's the second biggest space in all of Canada. As, aside from what, the Northwest Territories? Um, Yukon Jack's house. I don't know. <laughs> and now we've pissed off Canada. Great. The guy in, um, what's that Chris, what's that Christmas special is it Yukon Jack, the like lumberjack guy with the pickaxe? Oh, oh, from Rudolph? Oh, I, I. Yeah, it's know. Rudolph. That's it. Yeah, that dude. <laughs> that dude. That's where we've gone now. We've now gone to like kids' Christmas specials, claymation from the seventies and eighties. Well, the good news is, is the Expos may not be dead. Apparently, there is discussion. That if Major League Baseball were to ever expand to 32 teams, which I could see happening since you have 15 National League, 15 American League teams, and if Montreal were able get were able to get a real stadium going, the Expos could return. It's happened before. Um, the Colorado Rockies were a hockey team before they became a baseball team, and the Cleveland Browns. Um, it's not unfathomable. Unfathomable. And I know that Seattle is holding the Sonics in in reserve if they ever expand the NBA to 32 teams because I could definitely see Major League Baseball and the NBA expanding to 32 teams. You have the NFL is already there. The NHL is going to be there in a few years. And it seems like just about the perfect amount of teams for balance of divisions and everything else, too. Yeah, you've got to expand even. But before we get there, we need to get – I mean, I don't know how the season's going to work where the St. Louis Cardinals have played three games and everyone else has played 16. Uh, I have no idea how that's going to work out, but I just know the Cubs are in first place, so I'm happy. Yeah, best record in baseball entering the weekend. Yeah, and they're leading tonight 7-1, so they got this. Woo! There have been interesting, substantial developments when – the Cubs have played at the Cleveland Indians on a Tuesday and Wednesday night. This is true, yes. It has <laughs> happened before. Technically, the Card- since they go by winning percentage now, technically the Cardinals are still in second place in the National League Central, despite having only played five games to the Cubs' 13. 
Well, then you have to wonder when they start to actually penalize these guys for what they're doing. And if it becomes, um, cause that I was watching the Cubs game earlier tonight and it was great to hear the announcers kind of tiptoe and dilly dally around what was going on. And they're like, Chicago is a place where you just don't want to stay in. There's so much to do. There's great restaurants and there's natural beauty and there's, you want places where you want to get outside and just like guys, just give it up. So as we wrap up here, talking about the Expos, do we think in relation to them, not getting to finish their dream in 94, do we actually make it all the way to the world series this year? I I don't think we're going to make it all the way to the world series. I'm sorry. I just, it, I think in a bubble, this could have worked, but I, I don't see it working with travel and, um, I'm sorry. I, I hope the Expos come back someday, but as Sean, as a former, as a member of the franchise that was once the Expos, Sean Doolittle once said, sports is a reward for a functioning society, and we don't have that right now. Well, I think part of the problem that you have is when the last expo that was still active in major league baseball went down, that's when everything started to break loose. I'm of, I'm of course referring to Bartolo Colon, big, sexy yes. hitter of the most important and best home run in major league baseball history. The reason that there should never be a DH ever. Yes. He is, he is all but done. I don't believe he is officially retired. He has talked about wanting to come back at least one more time. And with everybody dropping from COVID, maybe some team signs him as a flyer this year. But he was the last active expo. And what a way to send off the franchise with that home run in San Diego. And a member of the last time the Expos finished with a winning record, 83-79. and 79. In 2002. I believe that was the year where they were owned by Major League Baseball and they could not make any moves. That That is correct. And, and Bartolo's home run has a Purdue connection because we always have a Purdue connection on this podcast. He has a Purdue connection there because it was a two-run home run. And the runner on base when he hit it was former Purdue catcher and 2012 first-round draft pick Kevin Ploiecki, <laughs> quite possibly the best baseball player we have ever had at Purdue University. The last entry in the professional career of Bartolo Colon on Valentine's Day of this year, he signed with Aceros de Monclova of the Mexican League. Oh, then we can get him back. He's 47 years old. We can get Bartolo back. And that Maybe would make we can him, get him on the podcast. That would make him another one of the players to play in four different decades too. Oh, I love it. Yeah, like the Mini Minoso rule. He's the last active play he was the last active player from the nineties. I believe Mini Minoso is the only guy who hit safely in four decades. You might be right there. Fifties, sixties, seventies, and eighties, yeah, because he did I know they did drag him out, and he did get a base hit with those ugly-ass short pants uniforms that the Sox had. And he was a member of the Go-Go Sox, so that would cover all of that. Um, oh, those shorts uniforms by the Sox are hideous. How did you slide? Exactly. <laughs> well, you got to slide head first so you don't break your cocaine vial. There. I know. That, I mean, yeah, that's 80s baseball problems. Hashtag 80s baseball problems. Oh Maybe could, he could pitch for the Chicago Dogs. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Oh, Zambrano wow. did it. Then you're one stop from getting the call up. Heck yeah. So that is it for that is it right now for getting weird. We had a pretty short one here, but we wanted to reserve some time here to talk about college football since it sort of gotten canceled today. We say sort of because as of right now, the MAC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12 are out. Uh, you have a couple of smaller schools that have independently declared out, like I believe Old Dominion and UConn, 
UMass. UMass was on their list. Oh, I missed them. And then you also have the ACC, SEC, and Big 12. They're digging their heels in. They say that they're going to go. And really, it goes back to the entire attitude this country has had for the last five months of, screw it, we're going to do what we want, and we just have to be tougher against a microscopic virus that no one can individually fight. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Right. I mean, and then we'll throw in the big the Sun Belt because the Sun Belt is the mini me of the SEC and they decided they'll do whatever the SEC does. And I do want to caution our listeners that if you want like I'm just saying, if if you want to damage your brain irreparably, I would suggest you go look at the takes coming from the people who cover the SEC and are just completely intertwined with that because you'll see their reactions to this unreal. I mean, I'm, I've really, this has really frightened me more than anything else. I, I, I just felt that perhaps this would be a wake up call to a lot of people. If you lose college football, you'll see what's happened. And then you'll say, man, this is terrible that we don't have college football because we have this once in a century pandemic this is the real thing. Let's batten down the hatches. Let's get it together. Let's work so we can get our reward later. But the complete opposite is happening. Well, I, w- I was about to say, Paul, you make some very cogent points and a really solid argument there and everything. And it makes total sense that this is what should be happening. And it's a wonderful idea. And, you know, but as a, uh, as a counterpoint to that, we live in the stupidest f***ing country on earth. <laughs> right. I mean, I would say all that, and then I would also say, have you met us? Yes. Have you exactly. met America? Yes. Like, do you know how, I mean, I was surprised to see that Ohio is a southern state, and Ohio State is an SEC school, because maybe the worst takes I'm seeing are coming from their people. And then to take that a little bit further, um, you and I have been in the press box in college football. We've been at press row. We know these people. Um, I don't know what your impression is or what you thought, but to me, I'm like, these are professionals. They can string together sentences. They're probably smart guys, whatever. They're civilized. And then I see that when you take away college football to a lot of them, like, that's it. There's no interest. There's no hobbies. There's no personality. There's no there there. I mean, it's, I mean, I've been to Nebraska. I thought I was wonderful. I enjoyed my time in Lincoln. Everyone there was nice to me, but whew, Nebraska, they're just like, hey, we got to have football. Like, we're out. We'll leave the league. We'll do whatever it takes. And I'm just, Hey man, you gotta remember this is just a game. Exactly. There's life outside of it. And to me, the biggest thing that you've I've seen that is the argument against playing is yes, there is a much, much higher survival rate among young players. You know, younger, fit players, that's wonderful. I agree with that. It's these links that you're starting to see to the damage to the heart, which they don't even know if it's permanent or not. And you have a Big Ten player that is going through that right now because one of Indiana's players is going through that right now. He tested positive. He's gone through it. And they are concerned with him getting myocarditis. And you don't want to risk these players doing that. And the hardest thing about all this is we are learning about – the virus in real time and you're not we don't have years and decades of research on this we're learning the effects in real time we don't know what the effects are going to be long term because of that you are just kind of paralyzed in what you can and can't do unfortunately and i'm sure that i'm going to be judged as some oh you're just you're not tough. This is ridiculous. It's all fake, and they just need to go out and play. Well, you know, I'm sorry, but the thing is, 
These schools do not want to be sued into oblivion. They're already going to learn a lose a ridiculous amount of money, and the instant that a player drops dead from this, it's going to be litigated to high heaven, and that's why they're canceling things. They don't want the liability, and that's just where we are. Well, first of all, thank thank you for um, citing the heart illness because I knew I was going to botch that. I knew I was not going to pronounce it correctly because I'm only just learning about that within the last couple of days. And I'm starting to see like how serious that is. Um, I believe, are you referring to the Indiana offensive lineman where it got to a point where his mother took to Facebook to really call attention to what was happening to him? Right. And I, I believe he's not the only one across college football but he is one of he was one of the first ones that they've pointed out and you know i obviously respect these players and respect their desire to want to play i want to watch them play i think it would be wonderful it would be fantastic to watch them play but unfortunately it ain't going to happen <laughs> right i mean you brought up a lot of great points there and and there's so many different areas we need to cover because there is Science is trial and error. The scientific method is about, and anybody who's had serious medical problems like I have had and has like a very detailed medical history like I've had, you learn it's about ruling things out. It's about testing. And the idea is you don't, you err on the side of caution until you realize what's happening, until you know what's going on you play it close to the vest, you play it conservative, and that's what's really getting to me so much. So it's really offending me because football is innate with that idea of social Darwinism and toughness and, you know, rugged individualism, but it the virus doesn't care what you can bench. Right. The virus doesn't care what you can squat. And a full-contact sport and social distancing – are polar opposites, period. So I don't know why we're seeing all this. That's not – There's, I know there is some guy in LSU, some linebacker, who dropped about 30 or 40 pounds within, within a couple months from this. And let us also not forget that COVID, the stats have shown, affect African Americans a lot harsher than it affects other ethnic groups and college football is comprised of mostly African Americans. So I mean, sure, the statements are all about player safety and they're saying all the right things as they cancel, but you're absolutely one million percent right. This is all about protecting themselves from wrongful death lawsuits or other types of suits that would arise from all the medical bills. And also, please don't come at me that, oh, well, there's journalists that wanted the season to be canceled, and now they're happy because they get to be proven right. That is a crock of horseshit. You know, we're, we're into the after dark period of the Let's Get Weird Sports crest, and I, I know I know we'll be cutting this out soon and wrapping things up, but... Right, and we'll edit this, but... Um... We've mentioned our good mutual friend, our mutual acquaintance, Will Willems, and it was only last week where I texted him saying, where the hell did that narrative come from? And he said, that's a Clay Travis thing. Because, yes, I really, I really want to shut down sports that I do for a side gig that make a decent amount of money on. I'd really not like to make that money right now. Or have that fun thing. You know, I've only been running this damn blog since 2006 on my own, 2009 with SB Nation. I'd really not, I'd really love to not have anything to write about and have it, you know, wither and die on the vine because there's no sports. Yeah, that'd be, that'd be really wonderful. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, that's part of the age we live in, in which Americans, a lot of them don't see degrees of different phenomena situations and they don't see subtlety they don't see nuance they don't see this idea of you make a prediction and okay your prediction is right but that doesn't mean you wanted it to be right right i mean i've wanted to i've wanted to watch this for months i was hoping until today when the official announcement came i was like you know what at least i can watch it on tv here in 
three and a half weeks when we were supposed to kick off the season at Michigan. That would have been wonderful. I, every, I don't know of a single Purdue fan that didn't want that. And I, now I'm I, just I, like, are we going to even get college basketball? Are we are we going to get it? I mean, we have two leagues now with the Pac-12 and the Ivy League that have agreed to not play until the first of the year and all sports. Well, you have a school like Purdue where, yeah, we like football, basketball, college basketball is you, you can't, you mean I can't go to fricking Mackey for a year now? Are you kidding me? And it is all because of a complete and utter abdication of any form of leadership from the top, from the top of the NCAA punting to the conferences to, as you can see in the air with Nebraska, Nebraska doing the, well, screw it, we're going to play anyway, even if the Big Ten isn't. It mirrors the same thing that's happened and has gotten us into this mess. They've had five friggin' months to plan an alternative for this. Five months. And their response was shrug emoji. Right. It, it, it almost mirrors Trump's in April. It'll just disappear. It'll just go away. That, that's not a strategy. Wishing something to disappear is not a strategy. And, and, and it boggles and, my mind that all we've lived for five months every day is COVID, 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 and not once did anybody make a plan. It's no secret what my views are on him. I'm not going to get into that right now. But it's been the same on a national level on both sides, Republican and Democrat. They have both very poorly handled this, and then their bickering amongst each other has made it worse. You've seen it the same way the federal government has punted to the states, so you had 50 different responses as opposed to one actual response that should have been done, and many of the states have punted to the local level, and so you just have a giant freaking mess. It's no wonder we're at this point. And that, right. and I think it is fair to say that that's not just a Trump thing. That's not just a Republican thing. That's not just a Democrat thing. It's an entire pooch screw that has gotten us to where we are. Well, that's the biggest problem about this country is that each side wants to own the other. Each side wants to best the other. And I'm guilty of it. I am as guilty of it as anybody. I, I do that. But at the end of the day... We can't do that. We can't have about being right and wrong. We have to actually be on the same page. And that, I believe, the first step is to, we need to get rid of this idea of people who don't believe in science or choose to believe. Like, if you don't believe in gravity and you walk off the top floor, your ass is going to fall down. And that's just how it is. Because you may not believe in gravity, but it believes in you. So I would say my only I don't have any answers. This is very complicated. This is this is heavy sledding. This is deep stuff. But I would say the first thing we need to do is just shut down everybody who isn't a scientist, who isn't an epidemiologist, who isn't uh, a viral infectious disease expert. And I would say the next time Aubrey Huff or some other tweets the stupid I'm not wearing a mask bullshit. Even if you want to make fun of him, even if you think it's funny, even if you've got a great zinger and you're going to burn him and you're going to own him, whatever, don't bother. Just don't platform any of that horse. Uh, and I, then I can fully can, get behind completely ostracizing idiots. Right. Like Lou Holtz. Um, Lou Holtz is trending today because Fox News put him on and Lou Holtz compared college football to Normandy. And said there were acceptable losses at Normandy. Oh, for crying out loud, Lou Holtz. Yeah, Lou Holtz has been on the wrong side of history enough already. He said enough dumb things. He doesn't need any kind of platform. He's, the idea of comparing, you know, going to fight fascism in Europe and liberating Europe from a dictator to a recreational game paid played by guys who get paid in room board and publicity and then make money for rich donor. Like it again, that's part of that. Like we're giving him a viewpoint. There, there can't be a view. You can't have a viewpoint for this. This isn't, you can't both sides this. There's not both sides to every, to every issue. What happened at Penn state was evil. What they did to cover it up was wrong. That's it. We don't need the other side. This is the same thing. It's a deadly virus. 
Do we know everything about it? No. Are, is there a lot that we need to learn about it? Yes. Does it but kill everyone? Know? No. Can you recover from it? Yes. Can you have it and not even have a single symptom? Yes. It's entirely possible I've had it. Yes. We just don't bloody know. And part of the reason we don't know is because we haven't bothered to, you know, contact trace or properly test or anything else. Europe got its shit together. At least to some extent. Not only are they playing sports, but they're playing sports in a non-bubble atmosphere. And they're not having outbreaks. I mean, well, that's why we're now rotating to metric football. We're we're pivoting to metric football, and I I reckon I recommend for you Purdue listeners out there if you've gotten this far, God bless you. <laughs> and I know it's pretty deep now in the night. But I recommend that if you're a Purdue fan and you want that same sense of ennui and sense of dread with occasional bouts of hope before it just gets crushed in dramatic fashion join me as a newcastle united fan yeah because they were about to get these rich saudi arabian owners who were going to totally uh manchester city this thing and they were going to get the sugar the- daddy they were going to get the sugar daddy treatment and i've always said purdue needs a sugar daddy and yeah then newcastle could have been like um chelsea from 03 on when roman abramovich took over or city 08 on when um the world's 12th richest man took in, but nope, not going to happen. Sorry, Newcastle, you're stuck in uh, mid-table. Hey. I'm sorry, I, I don't want to hurt you with that. But. They nearly made the Champions League in 2012, and then they got relegated in 2016. <laughs> so The highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And for people who are still listening, if, if you want latest up-to-date news on the potential of Jaden Sancho to leave Borussia Dortmund and go to Manchester United, I'm your man. I'm on it. <laughs> if you want to know who United might sign when, uh, because uh, Dortmund CEO Michael Zork said no sale, where else they're going to go, I'm on it. Give me a follow. Do you want to even know who Christian Pulisic is as the United States pivots to metric football? And he is our great hope that if we can ever make another World Cup, we're on it. <laughs> I know. Isn't it amazing to see Pulisic, to see him with competent players and a competent manager and a competent system? And, uh, you know, I'm still angry that ESPN they had the FA Cup final, you know, and they relegated it to their streaming service when, you know, they're showing fishing on a channel and they're showing reruns of pardon the interruption, whatever the hell they were playing. And I'm like, this is Christian Pulisic. This is the Pennsylvanian Messi. <laughs> See, Otis got angry. He just roared at that. Well, he's now he's going to be like the Pennsylvanian Gareth Bale because we can't qualify for a damn major tournament. Yeah, I I I, I feel bad for him because he's got to really carry the load. And as much as I I disagree with a lot of Alexi Lalas has said over the years, I do like that rant he had as on the U.S. we're on the cusp of not making the World Cup in 2018. Well, I'm I'm sure that our listeners are really happy now that we've devolved into into soccer. So. I think we could start wrapping that up. And so, yeah, we, we thank you that you made it this far. Thank you for listening to us on the Montreal Expos and Olympic Stadium in Montreal. Thank you to listening to us ranting about how college football has gotten canceled for the first time in more than a century. And we just hope that, that somehow, some way, this gets back to normal. There's The most depressing part is there's no end in sight. But we're still here. We're still going to be putting out some weird sports stuff. So for Paul and myself and Otis, I hear. And Otis now, I forgot to mention, has a new friend as the Miller family here has our own black cat named Ventress, a stray that we took in about four weeks ago. And she has adjusted well to the point where she's not even bothering to listen to Otis on the podcast. She's just asleep. Well, if Ventress has an Instagram, let me know. Um, if you guys want to follow Otis on Instagram, it's at Otis Ginger Tabby. And um, 
like we said, Otis is the third co-host of the show. Yeah, you know, I know we kind of kept the Expos and Olympic Stadium kind of short. We didn't go too long on that, but we couldn't help it because today was a fast news day. Today was a rapidly fast news day, and there was a lot to cover, and I just hope we haven't lost too many of our fans with this. Well, at least we didn't go into our opinions on Confederate monuments again. I mean, that, well, that... we discussed Lou Holtz. Hey ho! <laughs> so, on that note, we do thank you for listening, and we'll be here the next time that you guys want to get weird.